Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in to another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlon, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, the first podcast of 2023. First podcast of 2023, and it's a 4-0 podcast, and, and baby, that feels good. <laughs> you get a new voice in 2023. That was, <laughs> I like yeah, that. I, was, I was testing it out actually just right there, and I decided to go against it. So oh, already that. in this podcast, we have four Sunbelt wins. We have three voices among the two of us, and uh, right. we're ready to dive into 2023 with a fantastic JMU Sports News podcast, uh, some fantastic uh, men's basketball, women's basketball, all of that great stuff. Can't wait. Can't wait. It should be a, a pretty thrilling podcast for us here, and as always, visit the Harrisonburg Valley Collab House for Three Notch. We love them. They're supporting us through basketball season, which is exciting to see. And uh, yeah, got to get to Harrisonburg soon and check that out again. Yeah, I've been looking at the schedule, trying to figure out a time that I can make it to the Berg. Mm-hmm. It's tough, man. <laughs> is it? Is it? But, <laughs> it's well, it's actually not tough. I guess what I should say is it's tough finding like a good game. Like, I think I might just try and find a way to go to that Marshall game at the end of the season if it still continues to, like, pan out where that is going to be the de facto regular season championship. Um, but apparently Southern Miss is higher than JMU in the net, so it might be Southern Miss, that type of game, whenever that is, that might somehow... That's only up. that's only a road clash. Oh, okay, so that's one of the only road ones. So that's a bummer, but, I mean... The Sun Belt, we had we had Nick from uh, Mid-Major Madness on last week, and not to derail it about the three-notch, fantastic beer. We'll be popping open a nice juicy IPA on the podcast here tonight. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic hazy IPA brewed by three-notched, and uh, if you're in, uh, if you're near one of their breweries in Harrisonburg or Richmond, Roanoke or Virginia Beach, you can get this, or Charlottesville. You can get this one as an Imperial IPA as well. Also delicious, a little bit higher in the ABV, but absolutely fantastic. But what I was saying, we had Nick on last week, and he kind of said that the Sun Belt is shaping up to be a really good mid-major league, a low mid-major league. I think he might be kind of right. Yeah, that's a great question because I'm not sold yet. <laughs> okay. I'm not I'm not sold yet. But do, do you want to do bet online first? Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I was going to have a really cute segue into that one, but you didn't let me have Why well, I ruined it. Uh, Sorry about that. No, it's okay. The, the segue was going to be, but do you believe that Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your sports betting needs this season? That's a pretty good segue. Yeah, Thank of course. You. Yeah, the, everything from NFL and bowl season to esports. I'm going to be honest with you, Bennett. Have you ever, I've never bet on esports. Have you ever bet on esports? No, that would, that would be too far. It's a step too far for me. Yeah, could you imagine betting on Ninja in Fortnite? Um, you'll always <laughs> find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. We're the fastest, easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events at Bet Online. Frank, come here. As Frank tries to make his presence known on this ad read, head to betonline.ag. That's betonline.ag. To join and receive a 50% welcome bonus. Deposit, let's say $500. Say you're a big baller. They'll match it $250. Say you want to just bet $100. They'll match it with $50. 
Just use promo code BELIEVE. If you know by now, if you've been listening, you know by now that's BELIEVE, B L E A V, to receive your rewards. Get out of here with how you actually spell BELIEVE. It's B L E A V. 50% welcome bonus at betonline.ag. Bet online, where the game starts. Thank you. Thank you. That's really good. So the Sun Belt. I got to make a new lower third for this one. Hit Are me. you sold on it being a good mid-major league? I think it's pretty solid. I mean, if you look at the Nets, uh, you just told me this before we came online, so I can't act like I'm all high and mighty knowing this. Southern Miss is higher than JMU in the net. I imagine Marshall is right around where JMU is, JMU was. Um, I imagine, you know, Louisiana, who was pegged to be the number one team in the preseason poll, they're a little bit below average. They're not exactly what you expect, and they're actually pretty bad. Um, But then you got teams like Troy, who's sneaking around the upper 100s. Uh, you even have – oh, wait, Louisiana's 10-4. and four, My fault. They're 133. It's Louisiana Monroe that's 6-9 and nine and is absolutely abysmal. Um, I think it's better than we thought it was going to be. It is currently the 15th best league in the nation behind Ivy League, Missouri Valley, the WAC, A-10, Conference USA, and the West Coast Conference. But West Coast Conference isn't really technically a mid-major if you don't think Gonzaga is a mid-major. But – I don't think they're terrible. I don't think they're as bad as we thought it, they were going to be. I think it's very comparable to what the CAA was during JMU's time in the CAA. Granted, I know we wanted to take that next jump up into that of what an A-10 is, but I just don't think that was feasible with what the athletic department wanted to do with football. So with what basketball, the hand it was dealt, I think this was the next best option. Yeah, I can't really complain. I think it's been a solid league. So far, some of it, I know like Shane Metlin did a story, I think recently about uh, how the Nets drastically better than last year. And I would say the Sun Belt won very much in realignment where it added a, you know, a few quality programs and also got rid of two teams that had sucked the last two yeah. seasons. So when you get rid of, what is it, Little Rock and UT Arlington, which had really driven down some of those numbers the last couple of years where previously Little Rock had, every now and then, Little Rock had some really special um, teams and seasons, but yeah. struggled recently, and they are struggling again this year in the Ohio Valley. So it worked out nicely for JMU being where it is, and I think it worked out nicely for the Sun Belt to get rid of some of those lower-tier teams that what don't offer football and then um, add some, some schools that bring something on the gridiron, but then also from a basketball perspective as well. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fun year as it as it goes out. I mean, Jane, you started this weekend 2-0 and in Sunbelt play. Kind of shocking because uh, I think if you asked us both on the podcast, we would have expected a 1-1 one one weekend. Not because we didn't think they could hang with Marshall, but because of just everything considered travel-wise, um, how good Marshall was, the matchups in terms of how Marshall had a 7-foot freshman who was – being a pretty solid contributor, not in a lot of minutes, but when he did play, his offensive rating was kind of really, really solid. So all things considered, we thought JMU was going to come out of there with a one-on-one weekend and we'd be happy with that. Instead, they came out 2-0 and after a defensive showdown, defensive kind of gutty win against Georgia State. And then against Marshall, they got down early 7-0. You texted me, we're going to lose by 30 and the next thing you know, they turn on the Jets and they're up in double digits, I believe, in the first half. And 
uh, withstood a major martial run in the second half and ended up winning that game. Yeah, trailed 9-3 to three to start the game. And Morrison wouldn't didn't play. So if you yes, say going into that good, one that, yeah. that neither of those guys are going to play against Marshall and Morris also didn't play against Georgia State, I think one and one would be pretty solid. So to do it without those two guys, good defense in both outings. I was really impressed overall, and I think it's a sign of good things to come. Uh, I guess Morse isn't confirmed, like definitely coming back uh, the next two games. So I don't know what illness he has, but it sounds like it's kind of a gnarly one if it can knock him out for, you know, over a week. <laughs> He's obviously not, not feeling 100%. So hopefully they can get him back soon, but they found a way to win without him but his shooting was missed because they're it's definitely gets a little tough there without him in terms of like hey who's going to take the ball and, and go score and be confident shooting it yeah and after coach byington's comments after the cop and state game with noah Friedel, and then kind of the worriness of how he was going to overcome whatever was ailing him in that cop and state game to then have him play particularly well against marshall and, and fairly well against georgia state it adds an even another layer that Morse wasn't there. So you can, he's the only true three point shooter JMU has. So the fact that defenses were able to key in on him and he was still able to hit some, some shots that were big at times um, bodes well for this team. Yeah. The, I mean, the, just looking at the numbers for the Marshall one, they had 17 turnovers to nine assists. They were five of 14 from three and they only shot 56% from the free throw line. And they won on the road against the other best team in the league without Morrison. What like that's crazy to go out and be like, hey, we didn't play that well offensively. We're missing two of our better scorers, or at least offensive threats, and we still won the game on the road against Marshall by six. I think it says a lot about the defense, which I kind of ragged on, I think, in the last podcast. Yeah. Where I was I was frustrated with how they played against Coppin <laughs> State. But I don't know. I mean, like, what, the last two games they've given up like the same combined points or similar to it from what they did against the Coppin state game alone. So they've, they've played a lot better defensively the last couple. And if they can play good defense, I think you'll feel good about them the rest of the season. Do you want to hear a fun fact? I do. That Georgia state game was their fifth best defensive game in terms of efficiency in the Ken Palm era. So since 1997, that was their fifth, fifth best defensive game. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, so I think they, they I think they took a step, and I mean, it's always good that your scout is correct against you know Sun Belt teams, especially that opening weekend. Was there anything from that Georgia State game you kind of hit on it quickly? But they won sixty three to forty seven thanks to a fantastic second half where they outscored Georgia State thirty seven twenty six, which propelled them to that win. Anything that stood out for you in that game? Mostly the defense. I think I kept kind of waiting for Georgia State to make some shots and make a little run, and they didn't. And I think that was something where it's like, oh, like they can have a full 40 minutes where they just play really strong defense, which I guess shouldn't come as a major surprise because they really have played decent defense in a lot of games this year. I think it's just those, like the Valpo loss and the Coppin State yeah. loss where it really stands out. It's like, what what's going on? But when they, you know, play their best defense, they – can be pretty good. So I was just impressed with what they were able to do defensively where the offense did not have a great game, but again, on the road in league play, you can win by double digits. That was pretty damn good. Um, you want to hear something very interesting? Oh yeah. 
So JMU is 55th in adjusted defense this season, according to Ken Palm. That's better than teams like Arizona, North Carolina, Gonzaga, Virginia Tech, um, and it's right around the likes of Yale and Iona. Not sure that's that's big time, but a couple big names that they are defensively better than, and that is a little swayed because of all the D3 games and all of that and Coastal Georgia, but still goes to show that they're playing pretty good defense regardless. I think they throw a lot of that out on Ken Palm, the D3 ones at least. Okay. Because they're at least I don't know exactly how that works with the efficiency, but I know with the like the stats below or whatever. Yeah, they do only against D one teams. So I imagine at least some of that is rated in a way where it's still good. But then you also look and it's like when you're playing, you know, Hampton, and Howard. <laughs> and, yeah, in terms of like where they are on the D one scale, it's it's yeah. an interesting point. But you're, I mean, you're right. Like they're haven't played a really hard schedule, but they have some numbers that are darn impressive. I know I saw some people on Twitter. Um, were responding to you earlier this week where they're like, wait a second, like when's the when's the Ken Palm era? Because we had some pretty good teams in the like 70s, 80s, and, and early 90s. It doesn't include that, but it's still like two decades worth of like... This is one the, of the best, best team since, I believe you're what, born in 96 or 95? 95, yeah. Yeah, I was born in 97. So quite literally, and I'd, I'll go out on a limb and say 96 and 95 weren't much better. During our lifetimes, this is the best James Madison men's basketball has ever been. It's it's interesting too because they had they were pretty solid in um twenty what is this twenty sixteen with Brady. <laughs> I like how you get closer to the computer because <laughs> well, I, I know can't. you you don't have the stream yard up, so you get closer to look at it. And you all of a yeah, everyone gets to see my right face all close. But um, so they played a game against UNC Wilmington where they were 70th on February 13th in 2016. Okay. Way to so, ruin my tweet. What, what were they at yesterday? 71 or 71. something? But they've never, I think they've never finished a season. It was, they've never finished a season like in, in that area. I forget exactly the, what their best, was the best finished the 91st? they finished, yeah, was 90s. That's crazy. I, just, I did a deep dive of all their I was going to do more language to kind of be like this. They've never finished higher than X amount. So if they maintain this and hold, then they'll be, it just, it didn't sound as punchy. So I went with the statistically incorrect stat that you just called me out on the podcast. So I really do. I've seen it other places too, that, (laughs) that said that, that, that they never gotten to 70 before. So I don't know, but it's Ken Palm's got them at 70 at one point, but anyway, it's essentially the best they've ever been in the Ken Palm era. And then of course they drop like a spot or two today or whatever, I guess, whenever they play. But th- what they've never been in the '60s. Yeah, like, they never played in a game in the '60s or better. And there's a very good chance they will with next next Sunday. They could be a '68 team. It's cra- I mean, it's it's just wild to see that they're in that mix in that spot. So that's I don't know what a takeaway. And then watching them play Marshall, like the fact that they can win on the road at Marshall, like you're not going to get a harder conference game than that. You're that's that's the hardest away venue as well it's rated as an oa away arena did that make sense an a away arena like on Ken oh, Palm, okay like, i thought you said <laughs> first i thought you said an oa and i was like an away away arena. <laughs> <laughs> sorry like ken palm yes. rates opponents arenas and they're the a's on the schedule this year so the hardest uh-huh. places to play unc makes sense uva 
Makes sense. And Marshall, those are the hardest. And then the next hardest stretch they're going to have is uh, January 19th and 21st when they play Troy and Southern Miss uh, and those that little weekend jaunt. Those are two B-graded away arenas. It's just like huge, right? And we're talking, you know, I talk NIT all the time, maybe more than I talk like NCAA tournament. But if you win the league regular season title, you get that NIT auto berth. And this feels like a huge step in terms of just winning the regular season title. There's obviously a ton of basketball left. They haven't played a game in January. But to get two road wins, especially <laughs> Well, when you put Marshall, it like that, that they haven't played a game in January, this all just <laughs> becomes a little sad. Because I think if, if I'm not mistaken, this was the point of last season, too, that we were like, all right, if they went out, they're an at-large team. I was cracking up last year because I was looking. I was like, when's the fastest they got to 11 wins before? And it was like, oh, last year they actually did it, did it faster. But <laughs> then they finished like 15 and 19. Yeah, exactly. So they've got a long way to go. But I think to get those two on the road is huge. The schedule is fairly favorable the rest of the way because the league's not that great. And they're just going to have a lot of chances to win, especially if they continue to get healthier and play better. And we haven't seen them have like a fully healthy motivated roster which has like a lot of asterisks which is what jamie fans usually do where it's like you haven't seen these guys fully motivated fully healthy yet but it's kind of true under byington so if they can get their guys ready and then they go into february fired up i mean like in the postseason like going into the postseason his first season, they were pretty fired. I guess they weren't healthy. But they didn't have Lewis, Lewis though. Okay. Because I feel like they were, they were getting by Elon at least with Matt Lewis. Okay, they should have gotten by Elon. Not to go down on this complete side tangent, but they were up like 20 on Elon. They should have gotten past him regardless. But like Dustin yes. Buford, who was like a 2K character, maxed out on 99 with his three-point shooting, decided to go off that game and bring him back. Sorry. That game gives me a lot of uh, no, that's That's happened this year, right? It's... Valpo and Coppin State played out of their mind. You can't, if you play your season average, you can't beat the Dukes. <laughs> if you, all of your starting five shoot over their season average and all hit career highs, there's a good chance you win. That's so true. And uh, you mentioned Friedel. He was awesome yes. in those two games, which is huge. Uh, I think we had a question from someone that mentioned why he only played three against Coppin state. I think it was um, Byington said he was just feeling off that game and he seems yeah. like he's bounced back. There has not been, or maybe I've missed it a ton of follow-up on, on that, but it sounded like, I don't know. He, he played a lot the last two games and I uh, was <laughs> pretty fired played up. Very well. And like hit some key shots. I was cracking up in the Marshall game too. Cause <laughs> they were kind of going at, at Xavier Brown there. Yeah. Um, the freshman point guard that they have who played really well against Marshall. He had 11 points and didn't miss a shot in that game. Uh, but the, there were like spots when they would clip to him. And it was like, Fred went over to him at one point and was like, pass the ball. <laughs> and then there's another spot where Amadi was kind of going at him. was like, I'm open. You got to give it to me. But he was, <laughs> Brown was cracking me up. He had a banked in three where he like <laughs> went nuts and like five fist pumps. I was like, that was kind of luck, but I love the attitude. <laughs> I, I love Xavier Brown's what his trajectory looks like. Yeah. Because if he takes those things to heart with Amadi, and like I'm assuming that it's the heat of the moment, they're not actually mad at him. No, it's more like a so. teaching moment where it's like, okay, if you see me wide open, get me yeah. the ball. Like <laughs> right. that's just I think that's a learning thing where I assume on Xavier Brown's high school team, you know, he's the best player and he doesn't trust passing it to the open kid in the corner because he's probably <laughs> gonna break it off the side of the backboard. So he decided to do it all himself and he has to learn the system and learn everything. 
But a freshman getting this much meaningful minutes, especially with Morse being out and being able to step up and contribute double-digit points, is amazing to see out of Xavier Brown. It really is. It's it's super impressive. I was also I love the like the road broadcasts. Those always crack me up because it was like first half and Ian Acho only had three points and they're like they've held him in check. I was like, I mean he's not really a scorer. <laughs> it's, like, it's funny because you look at especially with how this team. This I, I feel like we talk about the poor schedule in every single episode, but with the schedule being so poor, like some of these guys dropped twenty five and just like hyper inflated their numbers in like the first four games right. so you're looking at stats you're like ian Acho's averaging is averaging nine six and four right. this guy is like <laughs> an all-around point guard at the mid-major level then you see him and this is taking nothing away but i don't think he's a consistent nine point score every night and like some days he just doesn't shoot and gets 15 rebounds but it's just funny that you look at that your box if you don't watch the film and your box score watching as a commentator you're like Three points. That's his. Uh, that's his season low there. <laughs> it's just so funny. Yeah, they're holding him in check. It's like, well, he hasn't. He hasn't really shot. Right? <laughs> so he's not trying to shoot the ball. So that, that feels like an easy way to hold the guy in check. But yeah, I've, I enjoyed the first two games. Being able to watch them all on ESPN Plus is fun. The fact that they're kind of living up to some of the hype already is fun. But a long season left. I think that's what's going to be really interesting. Is how can you get this team? that's clearly playing pretty well to avoid one of those like dud games come February and March, you know, and we're going to talk about this in the three notch weekend preview coming up for men's basketball. But what I'm really interested to see is this might be the biggest. Am I over uh, the UVA, the second biggest win in the Byington era? Am I over exaggerating that with this Marshall win? I think that's fair. It's then how do you respond against, against, Texas State, who is the back-to-back regular season Sunbelt champs, but they've started the season slow and they're 0-2 in Sunbelt play, and how do you respond against an App State team that was also pretty damn good in the Sunbelt last season but has started the year slow, and their only real good win is against, like, Warren Wilson? Um, like, how do you respond? Like, these are now games you have to win, and in games you have to win this season, Valpo and Coppin, I mean, they're 4-5-2 four, four, four and two in quad four. These are two quad four games you're coming up against. You got to pick them up. Yeah, these are the kind of games you should win, and you can win. You got to go out and do it. So I'm excited to see it. I'm also amped for the uh, – see what the home crowds are like, especially Saturday, with the yes. game being on ESPNU at night. I feel like that weirdly adds something, even though it shouldn't, for people going in person, where it's like, oh, wow, <laughs> national TV game, which doesn't affect like you sitting in Harrisonburg watching a game. But I, I feel like it makes people be like, this matters. I also feel like the nightness of it impacts it That's to an extent, one. like how football it impacts it, like with football, even though basketball's inside and you have no idea what it looks like outside. But like a noon tip is just so different than a 7 p.m. tip. Yeah, but I guess to to reiterate your point, they've got four games coming up here. Three of them are at home. They're all against teams that are 187th or worse in Ken Palm. Really good spot to get to like five and one or six and zero in league play, and to just have yourself in a fantastic position. Uh, going into that tough road stretch that you mentioned earlier against Troy and Southern Miss. So if they can get, you know, three of the next four, four of the next four, and be in a prime position, it's it's a pretty good place for them to be moving forward. Agreed. Um, I just wanted to bring up two points before we do do the three-notch weekend preview. I was looking at the box score, and Marshall only ran, I believe, two guys off the bench, three guys off the bench. 
Um, just three off the bench. Jame, you had four coming off the bench, and then you also have Wooden and Morse. So essentially, you think they normally run six guys off the bench. How important do you think it is, this team, being so deep with key contributors at that 8, 9, 10, heck, even the 11 spot? I think that's kind of the key point, right, is that if they the guys they c- can bring in are good, right, so they can actually contribute. Like when you have, like, oh, Morse can't play, and you bring in Brown, who's a true freshman, he doesn't miss a shot and scores 11 points in 18 minutes. It's like, well, that's rather helpful. <laughs> it's nice that he can do that. And then the same with, like, the guys – down low with like Mezzi and, and Sule and Amadi where like you don't have to um, run them for 35 plus minutes. So if they're not playing that well, or they're having a little funk or a stretch, you can just sub them out real quick get them on the bench, talk to them about some stuff you want to do yeah, and then go from there. So it's nice to be able to sort of sub them out. But at the same time, when nobody has to play more than 30 minutes in that game, like it's pretty easy to stay fresh. Whereas they played, what Kinsey and Taylor each played 38 minutes <laughs> like toward the end there. I think they're, they're probably struggling. And, and this game felt a little bit slower than like their normal tempo. I don't know exactly what it was possession wise or tempo wise, but it, it felt a little slower than I was expecting, but it's still one where like if Marshall's the second best team in the league and you both love to play at that crazy tempo, I think having depth there is a pretty massive advantage where you don't have to play your stars 40 minutes. Yeah. And I think that depth kind of showed where when Marshall went on, what was it like a 15 to two run or some insane run there in the second half in the mid part of that second half, it just seemed like their legs then were lost at the end of the game. You pull within two possessions. It's a real, or I think a one possession game at one point, it was two or three points. Marshall can flip it. The crowds into it, but I think they just lost their steam. And then JMU on the other hand, it seems like every whistle they're bringing in an entire new platoon. Yep. And they can hit you with like so many different things, right? Where the first half it's Friedel going off and then it's like, Oh, like Terrence Edwards can just attack the rim and get to the line, do all these things <laughs> really well. They just have so many different weapons where it felt like with Marshall, it was like, all right, Kinsey or Taylor is going to shoot the ball. Yeah. And quick question for you. Cause I have, I have, I have an opinion on this, but I want to get yours first. What advanced metric ranking do you value the most is it ken palm is it net is it the outdated rpi is it something i've never heard of what do you use and what do you value the most when it comes to looking at kind of advanced metric rankings the outdated rpi no i would say uh i'm a big well you know i'm a big ken palm believer and i read a, an interesting story from kevin sweeney today on sports illustrated talking about how the ap poll is kind of outdated and, and no longer relevant. And I think that was a, a fun story people should check out because it's pretty much true. It's a bunch of voters who like don't pay attention and some of the things they have in there don't make any sense, especially when you compare it to the, the analytics. So I think Ken Palm's a great spot to be. What about you though? Well, you make a great point because Shane Metlin tweeted this out and it's fantastic. As much as we love seeing Charleston succeed, there's no reason they should be ranked over an FAU team who like in every single advanced stat category in the net in everything is just a much better team than Charleston. I think it's because Charleston, much like JMU in football this year had a really good PR campaign to get, to get voted to the AP poll. I think that's a big reason why they did. Um, I'm, I'm right there with you. I value Ken Palm the most. I also don't love the net. I think it is really flawed, and I know it's not the end-all, be-all with the NCAA, but, like, 
a lot of people see that JMU's 46th in the net and they're hyping it up. It's it's a really cool thing and it's really great, but I think what's even cooler is them being 70th, 71st, 72nd in Ken Palm and having the ability to be a top 60 team, top 69 team, I guess, in Ken Palm. I think that means so much more than the net because I think the net has some really, really big flaws in how they look at things. I think they overvalue specific metrics, much like a three-point shooting percentage. How you do offensively, I think, just completely outweighs, and it doesn't bring down your competition. Like you said earlier, Ken Palm throws out D3. It, it doesn't value a win against Georgia, Coastal Georgia, as much as it does against a close loss against UVA. And I think that is huge. Because we saw a few years back, I believe it was the year after COVID, Colgate was number two in the net. Right. And they got blown out by Arkansas, who was like mid-20s, 30s. If if your advanced metric is saying this team is 30 spots better than this other team, it shouldn't be a blowout. At least that's that's my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that. And then I kind of don't love the like quad game like it makes sense a little bit but there's a difference between like a like a high quad one game playing like the best team in the country and playing somebody who could be what like i don't know you could play them at home and they could be 28th in the net or something like there's just differences there that i don't know if it totally reflects them accurately where i feel like maybe ken palm does it a little more it's just it's just one that it feels a little bit wonkier where it can like really sway and then there's always a handful of teams where it's like that's just like they're just not the you know 42nd best team in the country or whatever like there's a few teams that are never penalized and and doesn't make any sense yeah quads are weird because a quad a fringe quad two team if you beat them at their place on the road it's a quad one win but then if you lose at home like it's a quad low quad two loss it's just it fluctuates a lot i think what i'm trying to get at is Use all of them to inform it, mm-hmm. but I think if you are going off of a uh, end all be all that this is what I'm going to listen to, I think it should be Ken Palm. But I think you should take each and every one, put it in your back pocket, and use it to sound smarter when you're drinking beers with your friends at the bar. Although I don't know if your friends want to necessarily hear you talk about JMU men's basketball and Sun Belt mid major basketball when they're watching Arizona take on <laughs> Gonzaga in the first round of the NCAA tournament. That's true. Also worth noting with, with some of the net stuff, like you can just watch the games too with JMU and be like, they're trending in the right direction. Like if JMU's net slips like 50 spots in the next month, it's okay. Like they're still probably playing well, moving in the right direction. So it's, it's one, especially where it's like, don't read too much into the net at the same time. I don't think it's worth looking at the net and being like, we're in an at large spot. It's like, no, yep. <laughs> not in, not in that spot, even though the net would have you what top 50 would you could certainly argue that if they were a top yeah. 50 net, that they should be considered. They do not have the resume right now at all. They have there's to basically a, went out. And even then, it's like a fringe resume. There's a reason they're an AQ right now, and they're only a 13 seat. If you're an AQ that's an at-large team, you're probably like an 11 or 10. If, right? Am I wrong in assuming that? If you're, if you're an at-large team that gets the AQ, you're probably like a 10 seat. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Fun chatting. It's time, as always, for the three-notch preview. This is what we're going to do this week with it, Benny. You ready? Oh, yeah. 
I'm going to hit you with some t- statistics, an overview of both teams. And then I want you to kind of give me a breakdown what JMU needs to do in each game to win and move to 4-0 in Sunbelt play. You ready? Go for it. All right. So this weekend, Thursday, it starts off with Texas State, 7-8. and They're 0-2 in Sunbelt play. But they've won the Sunbelt regular season championship in back-to-back years under Terrence Johnson, who is, I believe, their third-year head coach. But this season has been one to forget. They're 224 in Ken Palm. They're the 255th best team in offensive efficiency. They're all right defensively, 181st on the defensive end. But they play at an extremely, extremely slow tempo. They don't score a lot of points. And they kind of don't stop that many points when you really look at it. They have just a .2 scoring margin this season. So just not a good year. They're 1-5, in five, and I know we just poo-pooed on the quads, but they're 1-5 in five in quads 1 through 3, and that only win was in quad 3, and they're 4-2 in quad 4, and a few just not good D3 that doesn't even fall into quad. So that's Texas State. That's game 1. Game 2 is App State. They're not much different than Texas State. They're 225 in Ken Palm, so one spot less than Texas State. And they really don't have a good resume at all. They're 0-6 in quads 1 through 3. They played against Charlotte earlier this year, and I saw them firsthand blow like a 30-point lead, and it was just really sad to watch. They, uh, They score 75 points per game, but at the end of the day, they're 265th in offensive efficiency, 273rd in tempo. I mean... They're 6-6 six and six against the spread. That's about all they got. Their best win this season is against NC Central, 195th in Ken Palm. It's not good. It's not good at all. I think they need to defend the three-point line, win the three-point battle. That's sort of my key. That's what they did really well against Georgia State and Marshall. And that's where they struggled against Coppin State. They gave up a bunch of threes, which... Some of those, I think, were lucky, but they gave up too many threes in that one. Valpo sort of killed them from inside the arc. But in these games, I feel like if JMU can keep the three-point battle competitive, play solid defense defending the three, they're so much better than them that just over time, they'll kind of wear them down, force enough turnovers, score and transition to be just fine. It's one of those where you just can't get you know crushed shooting-wise like you did against Coppin State with a bunch of threes. I think if they sort of hold them down there, they'll be fine. And on the positive side, both of these teams struggle kind of quite a bit shooting the ball in general. Yeah. So it's one where I think they're, you know, set up matchup wise, great matchups in both. It's pretty easy opportunity here to get to four. zero. I think. Also hilarious because against Charlotte earlier this season, app state opened the game, like seven of eight from the three point line. It was just absolutely like just shooting the lights out and then finish the game. Like one of 20. The uh, what is it? The win probability chart on Ken Palm's hysterical for that game. What is it? It's like a giant like roller coaster. Like, Ooh. oh, the, the, the Charlotte <laughs> App State. Yeah, where game? it's like, oh, App State's got this in the bag, and then like very quickly after halftime, <laughs> it, it goes very poorly for the Mountaineers. Yeah, that makes sense. But it, it should be fun for JMU fans because it's the first two Sun Belt games opening the AUBC in the Sun Belt era. Should be. 
a lot of fun. Like you said, ESPNU on Saturday, 8 p.m. tip against App State. A 7 p.m. tip on ESPN Plus on Thursday against Texas State. I think of the two games, if you're flagging one for upset alert for uh, the visiting team to come in and win, I think it's Texas State. I think they're a pretty good team regardless of their uh, poor start to the season. Um, also, shout out Brian. I don't know if you're on StreamYard right now, but Brian just <laughs> asked, where's Frank? Uh, he's been walking in and out of the room, so... If you look at the Frank. over my shoulder, he, he'll just walk. Yeah, he'll just walk in eventually. Um, I completely lost my point. Oh, Terrence Johnson's a, a really good basketball coach. Um, I think a big reason Texas State has struggled this season is last year. I was doing a deep dive onto Texas State today. Last year, their starting five all were major contributors, all with an offensive rating over 100, which is pretty darn good um and then this year they lost three of those five guys and i think they only have one or two guys with an over 100 offensive rating but they're not as big of contributors as they were last season so i think terrence johnson is just kind of struggling to put together a, a solid five that is consistently good uh, so there might be a point when texas state flips and all of a sudden texas state is much better later on in the season. So it's kind of a good thing that JMU, at least in my opinion, is getting Texas State early on in Sun Belt, and they don't have to play them again later on in the season. And yeah, they're definitely not terrible. I think they've kind of got the making of a team that could go really slow and play good defense. Like you look at some of their metrics where it's like they force a lot of turnovers. They have an impressive like block percentage. And then I guess some of the things that have been against those teams are hitting free throws. And then they've, they've struggled to defend the three, but from, yeah like two-point range, blocking shots, getting steals. They've been really good. Offensively, they've obviously struggled a lot, but you look at sort of that slow plate, so slow slow pace with solid defense, I think that's a decent recipe. And they kind of played it in the first two conference games where they were in the 50s in both, and they lose by four and lose by three. So they've, they've got that recipe down. I don't think it'll work against JMU, but I do think like throughout conference play, especially toward the end when they have some easier games, they could at least make themselves you know middle of the pack. Yeah, and the only thing going for App State in that second game on ESPNU is the fact App State doesn't get turned over at a high yeah. clip. They don't play well. Like, they don't shoot it well. They don't really do anything well because they miss <laughs> the shots they take, but they don't give away free possessions. And JMU's one of the best teams in the nation in forcing turnovers. So that'll be an interesting thing to see who who comes out higher with that. Is it – does App State not turn the ball over a lot because their competition has been so bad? Or are they just really, really well kind of down with the fundamentals and they're, they're not going to make errant passes type of thing? We'll be interesting to see. Amped for those games. Should be pretty fun. You know what else I'm amped for? Women's team. They're going to win out. Women's team is so good. I mean, they also started 2-0 and in Sunbelt play this year uh, with – a thumping of Coastal Carolina at home, 77-56. And then they took down ODU, 68-54. And that was after an abysmal 21-10 uh, second quarter. And they trailed by four going into the second half. They, they managed to rebound and play a fantastic game. Against ODU, they had a bunch of players play exceptionally well. Kozlova with 24. Kiki Jefferson with 19. Peyton McDaniel, who didn't start with 15 
and then you had a couple other players chip in. But if you have three players scoring like that, it's an absolutely fantastic sign. And if I'm not mistaken, Coach O said this in his post game, 24 points might be the most points scored by a post player in the Coach O era. That sounds right, because, right, Kayla Cooper-Williams wasn't doing a lot of scoring. She was blocking shots. He made fun of Cooper-Williams for that. <laughs> Did he? In the post-game press conference, he goes, and I think 24 is the highest. Uh, the only person I think that might be more is Kashuda. And then he goes, and then he just starts, like, thinking aloud, he, and, like, naming the bigs he's coach, and he goes, yeah. now we all know Coop isn't getting that. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like, I'm glad you have that rapport with your, uh, with your assistant. That's pretty funny. I also like that Kobe King Hawea played five minutes, didn't score over three shooting, but she was in a boot, I guess, what the game before. So good to know that that's not make it make sense. I don't get serious. Sometimes people, the coaches are like real, real crazy with the boots where it's just like highly precautionary, but, but Hey, Kiki Jefferson, 19 Kozlova has been playing phenomenal. McDaniel's awesome. It's just, they look good. And then we kind of complained in years past, right? If like, Hey, the defense isn't quite there. They're giving up too many easy baskets. First two Sunbelt games, they've held their opponents under 60 points. I mean, if they play really good defense, same with the men's team, right? If you play consistent defense, that kind of stuff is, is going to last. Even if you have a bad shooting game, you can find a way to win. Yeah, it's it's really fun to watch. And the fact that they it seems like Kozlova is stepping up to be that third player. Kocho is really, really high on her and her development this season. He's also really high on Caroline German. Yeah. Is it a hard G or soft G German? German. Yeah. She, he was raving about her and I, for some reason didn't watch a lot of the game, but I decided to sit through the full post game press conference and take notes on what coach O was saying. Didn't do that for the game, but let me just do that for the post game press conference. That makes <laughs> Love sense. That. But he was really high on her and says, she's not going to get a lot of points, but just like her ability to be out there and be, I guess like, a steadying force three assists to just one turnover in the coastal game. Uh, and then in the ODU game, four assists to one turnover. And I think that's something they've been missing for a while. Uh, Logan Reynolds was much like that. Wasn't necessarily going to go out and get you a bunch of points, but was going to be really smart with the basketball, get you some assists, limit turnovers and be big time. Um, but he was high on a lot of the players talked about how Jemiah Hazel is really important because she's really the only true downhill player that they have Peyton and Kiki uh, more of spot up shooters, more Kiki kind of just going to put you on skates and have fun with you. But Jemiah is the one that's going to catch her the top of the key, drive down into the paint and to get, get to the free throw line. So it's one that's nice too, where like other players are, I don't want to say finally stepping up, but it feels like we've been waiting for this the last couple of years, right? Where it's, like Hazel and Jefferson are five of 20 against ODU and they win by double digits, right? Cause Kozlova was great. And the defense was there. It's one where like in the past, if somebody had a bad shooting day, it would doom them because they weren't playing the level of defense they needed and they weren't getting other players stepping up nearly as consistently. So I was impressed. I think they're, they're finding ways to make some stuff happen. You mentioned Jermond. I thought her stat line was pretty hilarious against ODU with the four assists to one turnover and doesn't attempt a shot or a free throw, which is awesome. It's just like, I'm here to pass and play good defense. If I get a three, I'll knock them down, but not going to force anything. Also, I don't know if it's necessarily this team has found the players to step up or if they found the players to fit in their roles. Cause I yeah. think a big issue for this team was players were trying to step up, but they just, 
weren't playing within themselves. And I know that's really coach speak, but you saw at times like Claire Neff was jacking up 10 threes in a game and was going two of 10 and, and that's eight lost turn. That's eight lost possessions. So let's call that eight turnovers, you know, assuming those all are defensive rebounds. Hazel would do the same thing, but I think now they all finally understand their role and they know that, look, when I get my shot, if it's going down, I got the green light. But if I don't, find Kiki, find Peyton, find Kozlova down in the post. It is so nice having a dominant post player, which has felt like it's been something that's been missing since Cooper Williams left. Yeah, they've sort of built the roster really nicely, and having them all healthy is massive. So they're they're trending in the right direction. Very excited for the week ahead, where there are three teams that are 2-0 in Sunbelt play. It's JMU, Marshall, and Southern Miss. The Dukes play both of them <laughs> on the road this week. So that'll be pretty darn fun. What's the ceiling of the women's basketball team? That's a good question. I, I think I would for the ceiling, I would say they could get one NCAA tournament win would be my ceiling. And I think that's maybe optimistic. Okay. I don't know how you feel. They're They're definitely trending in a direction where like they have a higher ceiling than I originally thought a few weeks ago. I think the ceiling is winning the Sun Belt and getting to the NCAA tournament. I wouldn't I think that's fair. I think anything more than that is icing on the cake, but we saw what they did against a team that they would likely be playing in UNC. I'm not saying UNC is a team they will be playing, but that caliber of team. And that was earlier on in the season, uh, just about a week after they, two weeks after they lost to Maine to open the season. I'll always come back to that Maine loss because I'm still scratching my head at it. But they lost 76 65, looks good for a half. Uh, but then I think UNC is just a better team overall. And I think that's the type of caliber of team they'll be playing in the first round of the NCAA tournament. They could pull the upset, but I'm just not putting that as the ceiling. I'm not pulling, I'm not putting a upset as the ceiling. That's fair. I'm going to put it <laughs> as their ceiling. Okay. But I like that's, it. that's my optimistic ceiling. I think realistically, like winning the Sun Belt's a pretty darn good goal. I think you kind of have to, too. It, it feels like a year where they should have a really good chance to do that. I mean, they're playing yeah, really well. They have an, like a ton of depth, right? So even yeah. if you have an injury or something, you should find ways to make it happen. The defense is there. They have a lot of veterans too, right? Where it's at a certain point, you run out of years where you have just these veteran-filled rosters. You got to take advantage of them. So I don't know. I can't, you know, don't anticipate covid having a major impact ideally in in march so you got to hope that everyone's healthy and you can go in there and, and win one because they're they're long overdue for a conference tournament title i would say what it's been eight years who knows it's been a long time my freshman it's, year it was my freshman year when that's crazy. we lost i think it was DePaul in the first round of the ncaa tournament has it really been that long that's crazy um, and then to wrap up tonight's episode or today, whenever you're listening, I heard some people listen to this on their way to work. Shout out Dom Shout out Dom. and anyone else who listens on their way to work. We love each and every one of you. Jamie football transfer portal. They what added... just happened? It was a big ad. <laughs> Charlotte guy. <laughs> Taylor, Taylor Thompson. Thompson. <laughs> Tight end from Charlotte. It uh, solidifies the room, right? I assume painter is gone. I was trying to confirm that it's hard to, but he's he played five years. So I would 
I don't know how maybe he has another year. I assumed he was gone. It would be him and Horton would be kind of your two Thompson and Horton. That is. So we'll see what happens there. They've done a nice job. I don't know how many major additions they'll have left here in the portal, but you know, spring balls right around the corner. I mean, at this rate with who they've added, the natural expectation is national championship. I'm kind of shocked. They haven't lost like a marquee guy yet. I'm shocked that not only have they not lost one, but there has been like no rumblings. Yeah. Very odd. I mean, I'm happy. Don't like I am <laughs> ecstatic that that is the fact, but also shocked that no one has come sniffing at, I don't know, Jalen Walker, Doris Jones. Maybe it'll be a spring ball thing. I don't know. You know what it could be? They could have been watching film and they wanted Chauncey Logan, but they heard Charles Logan got the interception. And <laughs> because of that, they haven't been able to find him in the portal or find his, you know, Twitter or his, his contact information. So, I mean, maybe it's just a smart thing to call. Maybe that's why no one's uh, gone after Taurus Jones because they all heard Taurus Carroll throughout the season. And so they're going after him and realized he's been graduated for three years. And they're like, oh, what's going on at JMU? <laughs> Got to start doing that. That's, a, that's the best way to avoid the portal is just call players by the wrong name. Yeah, exactly. Next up, we should be calling um, Kalon Black, Laylon Black. <laughs> just start rhyming it. <laughs> no, you're thinking of his brother, Laylon. <laughs> and he graduated. He's gone. You can't get him. Yeah, too late. Sorry. Oh, but what about his brother, Kalon, that's on the roster that looks exactly like him? Different kid, I swear you do not want him. Knee injuries. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to add? Not not much. Looking forward to this right. weekend of basketball. Have a blast packing up your apartment. Thank you, sir. Enjoy that. For Bennett Conlin, my name's Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day. This has been the JMU Sports News Podcast, presented by Bet Online. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube